All right, we're going to get started here. Uh, Pastor Landon, come on up. Um, you know, if when your kids get to the point of, you know, getting married, you always hope and pray as a believing parent that God will provide that right person. And uh, in our case, we are blessed beyond measure. So I'm so grateful to have uh, Landon here this morning to share the word with us. So come on and bring the word. Thank you. Thank you, Dean. That's awesome. Praise God. Well, would you open in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians? We're going to be studying today in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 32. And, uh, and it's just a, a real honor to be here. A uh, real honor to be here this morning. Um, and so as we get started here, I... I, I wanted to play to begin with. You know, I mentioned that the Italian church is incredibly relational. Um, so they wanted to record a video for uh, the churches that, that we would be seeing these past two Sundays. And so um, I wanted to play this video as we get started. This is the pastor. He's from Fort Lauderdale. And, uh, and he's a pastor that has come and brought missions teams frequently over to our city and, uh, and some of the other cities in Italy. Uh, we've become close, him and I. And so I asked him, since I, we were going to be gone for about six Sundays, which is a long time, um, I, was, I was praying, Lord, just meet the needs that are there. August is kind of the vacation month for Italians. I don't know if you know that. Two or three weeks, all of the, the um, manufacturing shuts down, and their people go on vacation, and they're gone for weeks. So um, I didn't know if we even have enough people to fill in and fill the gaps and stuff. And so I asked this friend of mine from a massive Calvary Chapel in Fort Lauderdale, who is Italian, who was saved in the States, and is on staff as a pastor at the church there. I said, would you come? Because we won't even need translators or anything. Could you come and could you teach? Stay at our house, use our car, and, uh, and be here with your, with your wife for a couple weeks. And he prayed about it. Him and his wife said yes, and they came. And so this is him, Andrea. Um, wanted to send a greeting to all of you guys this morning. So. Okay, here we are at Calvary Chapel Feltre. We want to tell you, Lando, Rachel, and all the church at Calvary Chapel. Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. Gesù vi ama. Continuate. You keep doing the great job for the Lord. Let's keep bringing glory to him. God bless everybody. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs> Look at those beautiful people. Come and see us one day. They'll give you a big old hug and a lot of pasta. Um, so we're starting off here in Ephesians chapter 5. I wanted to look at the husband's role. Um, you know, ladies, I skipped the verse that talks about submission because we're focusing here on the husbands. You can thank me for that. Uh, I think the husbands actually have the, the more difficult role here uh, because it's the, the standard is Christ and, uh, and his love for us, which he gave everything. And so this, but I, I really wanted to hone in on something that I think is really important for our time as the church right now, this season of the world and this season of the church and this opportunity that God has let and laid for us to reach out in this generation, the one that we live in. And, uh, and so let's pray. Um, let, let me go ahead and read the first couple verses and then we'll pray and we'll get into it. And I'll share a few stories from what the Lord's been doing in Italy as well as we go. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. We know that your word is living and powerful, that it's sharp and that it can divide between our soul and our, and, and our thoughts and our intentions, and you know where we're at this morning. So speak to us, please, Lord. Holy Spirit, examine us and, and lead us today, this morning. In your precious name we pray, amen, amen. We see the love of Christ for the church here at the beginning, and it's speaking of husbands, it's speaking of wives, but at the very end, we see that this, in verse 32, it's speaking of this role and this relationship, but then it says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So really, this whole text is speaking about Christ's relationship with the church, also husbands with their wives. 
And this love of Christ for the church, it's saying, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. This relationship of, uh, of, of Christ's love for the church is not a new concept. In Isaiah 54, verse 5, it says that, and this is Old Testament, you guys. It says, for your maker is, is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. God's relationship with us is so intimate. And that he wanted to use the most intimate terms and the most intimate relationship that there could possibly be to describe his relationship with the church. That's incredible when we really think about it. He could have called himself the king, and he is called king. But when he speaks of our personal relationship, he uses one of a husband and a wife. And that's pretty incredible. How does he lead as a, as, as a husband? Because there's lots of different husbands on the planet. Some are really authoritarian. Some are very, you know, gentle. And they, they have no authority in their house. And, and some, are, some are somewhere in the middle. Some are balanced. Some aren't. But we see how Christ loves. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, we see as well that he sacrificed himself for the church. We know that what Christ did for the church. He gave everything for the church. And it's an incredible, wonderful thing to think about the, the giving heart of God for the church. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, it says that, uh, that, he, that we who receive his new life will no longer live for ourselves. Instead, they will live or we will live for Christ, but for him um, who died for us and rose again. What an interesting thing that when we live and when we, when we uh, look at the, the fact that God gave everything for us, and then we also live in this similar way that we give everything back to him, that we no longer live the lives for ourselves, but now we live our life for him, the one who gave everything for us. So this is what the love of God does, is it serves and it also, because it's a self-sacrificing, service-based love, it also changes the person and how they respond to him. That they don't want to live for themselves anymore or ourselves anymore, but that we should want to live for Christ. And so I wanted to share a testimony of a, of a young woman in our church. Her name's Irina. She's from Albania. Albania is uh, about two countries um, south of us on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, you have to pass Croatia. Maybe there's another country in between. There was a small one if there is. And then there's Albania. I didn't really even know where Albania was when, uh, when I first heard of it. It's quite close to Italy, and they have a, they have a uh, connection um, in, in history there. And uh, Irina moved over to Italy, and she met a man, and they started to date. Um, they're, they're about the same age. And her visa was to expire, and so he loved her, and he said, I really want you to stay, so let's, let's get married so that you can have your visa and you can stay a little bit longer. Um, and because, uh, since she's been there, the Lord's been, began to work in her heart. And she was, she's Muslim or was Muslim, and was, her parents weren't that uh, dedicated, uh, but she began to, to, to become a little more uh, religious in that sense. She observed the fasts and these things. And one night she went to sleep in February of last year. And in, as she was sleeping, she had a dream. And in her dream, God appeared to her. And in that dream, he said, you know, I, I am the Lord and, and I want you to follow Jesus and give everything to Jesus. And in her dream, she began to cry and began to weep. And as she woke up, her pillow was covered with tears and she couldn't shake it. So she called one of her friends, one of her only Christian believing friends that she knew. is actually her sister-in-law. And she called her. She still lives in Albania. She called her, and she said, I had this dream, and I can't shake it. What do I do? <laughs> her friend said, well, here's the gospel, and explained the gospel. And then she sent her the sinner's prayer and said, but here's the deal. You can't just pray these words and think that you're going to change overnight. You have to actually believe these words, and it's your faith that will, will change your heart. And she said, okay. She said, I believe those things, and she prayed. And it was two days later that she was, I think two days later, that she was in our Thursday evening service um, with bringing her, her husband uh, with her. He's still agnostic, but she's been growing ever since. And it's really beautiful. This next time that she came back to church, she said, I've been reading the Bible a little bit. And I said, that's really good. She's like, I'm not sure if I'm doing it right, though. She said, because I, I just read a little bit at a time. I really want to understand it. So I'll read until something hits me, and then I'll just think about that verse. And I try to memorize it a little bit, too. I said, I think you're actually doing that very right, <laughs> because that's how it should be, to just read and let the Word of God affect our hearts. 
And she turned from this other, you know, this different mentality into one that's, that's, uh, that's really changing. She asked her husband, she said, because she was hearing testimonies of other Christians, and she said, have I changed? And he looked at her and he said, yeah, you really have. She was so encouraged by that. It was then a couple of Thursdays later when she came to Thursday night church and, and at the end we were breaking up into small groups for prayer and she was in my small group and, and so we all sat down to pray and she was very nervous. She's like, I don't, I don't know if I have the courage to pray. They're like, no pressure. You don't have to feel pressure at all. And so we prayed together, all of us. We held hands and she didn't pray. And then afterwards she kind of looks up over at all of us and she says, I really want to pray, but I'm so nervous. And we said, well, that's fine. You know, if, if you want to pray, then do it. And, uh, and she said, but I, I don't want to pray in Italian. Can I pray in Albanian? And we said, absolutely. Do whatever the Lord's leading you to do. She looks at all of us and she says, can we hold hands? It was just so innocent and childlike. We hold hands and she prays for the first time out loud. Um, and since then, she's been growing. Pray for her husband. His name's Chalik. Uh, he's a wonderful man, and he loves her, and he's accepting of her, her new faith. She's accepting of what God is doing in her life, and he even comes to some of the events. He was at this couple's event uh, Saturday evening where it was spoke about the Lord and with the pastor that you saw on the screen, and the Lord's working in his heart too. Pray that the Lord does a powerful work, that he too would be born again, that he too would follow Jesus. She's been praying since day one for him. And uh, she's got, she wears her heart on a sleeve, and so she cries every time she talks about how much she wants her husband to know Jesus. So would you pray with her, with us, and with her for Chalik? He's a wonderful, wonderful man. But how sweet it is to see through this testimony. And as it says in 2 Corinthians, that those who used to live for themselves, instead they will live for Christ. And that, that old life that passed away and the new life that he's calling us to is so important. It goes on in Titus 2.4 to speak about how that Christ, he gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So we see this need for not just the church to be born again, you know, with a new perspective, not a selfish one, but a, an others-focused perspective. But we also see this need for a pure church that's, that's zealous for the things that God, or passionate, I should say, for the things that God's passionate for. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I look around at the church in general, and I can get a bit discouraged. And I I just look at these things that we should be, and sometimes I look around and I don't see the same thing as I look at others' lives. And I know that I spent a lot of, I can have spent a lot of my time viewing the church in this way. And I know that our church, even in Feltre, um, went through some difficult periods in the past. Before we arrived, um, you know, the pastor wasn't living in the area. And so there was quite a few circumstances and and difficult things that happened that caused a lot of pain. And I'm sure some of you have been hurt by the church or by Christians before. And if you haven't yet, one day you will, because Christians aren't necessarily perfect. Jesus is perfect. But it's it's difficult for us sometimes to look around and to think, like, how does this make sense? Um, And so one of the problems at our church was gossip. Um, I'm sure that you guys don't have that problem here at all. Never, right? You would never talk ever bad about anybody else. I hope that's not the case. But we started to notice that as the church would be critical towards itself or maybe gossip about other people, we started to notice this critical attitude, and it was so frustrating for us. And then we found ourselves, my wife and I, uh, as they're complaining about each other, we would go home and then we would complain about how much they were complaining about each other. And then we're the ones complaining as well. And so we were doing the same exact thing that we were frustrated that they were doing. And how easy it is for us to come into the same problem. It's why, why Jesus says that remove first the log from your own eye before you're going to go and you're going to remove it from someone else's. Because usually we're participating in the problem at that point. And we were doing just that. We're supposed to be missionaries, and we were just part of the problem. So how do we approach these problems in the church? Because this is a big question. I want to see the church as beautiful as God designed it to be. Do you? Do you? Yeah? Okay, if you're passionate about this, then the question should be, what am I going to do to accomplish that goal? 
Because there's a lot of different ways we could accomplish this goal, or that we could try at least, and we see all of them within the church, uh, the broad, in the broad sense, throughout the country. But what are we going to do? How do we affront this problem of the difference and the disparity between what we should be and what we actually are? And if we want the message of the cross to continue to change lives and to be glorious in the eyes of the, the world and the lost— how we approach our, the own body of Christ that God has placed around us. This gift of meeting together Sunday morning here in New Hampshire, this wonderful church, which is dear to my heart, how do we live this out right here amongst us? Because this is where it begins. And it's easy to look at the chaos in the world and maybe divisions within the church as a whole in America and say, there's nothing I can do to change that. But what can I do here with the people God has placed me with to be part of the solution? For a lot of my life, I stood back and I criticized. But I challenge every single one of you to engage for change in what the Lord is going to do. Not just in what he could do, but what he's doing now. And so with that, I don't just want to make it up. I want to look how Jesus loves the church because Jesus loves the church. And we see here that he does specific things to invest into the church, to make her into something that she's not currently, but that he knows she can be. And so right in verse 26, we see that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing by the word. Sanctify and cleanse. The first word infers like an internal problem, the sanctify. An internal problem that needs to be cleaned from the inside out, purified from the inside out. We bought a house in Bakersfield that had a mold issue inside the drywall. So we had to take all of the drywall off, purify the boards and the studs with this like Clorox and, uh, and chlorine. I don't know if there was both mixed. I think that's poisonous. Just one of them uh, mix on the walls to kill the problem at its core. The second word speaks about cleansing, which is more of a surface or a superficial cleansing, like we would cleanse our hands. And, and the, for those of you in the medical field, you know the difference between the two. But both of these things are required in the church sometimes. Sometimes I need the Lord to go in deep to the roots and take something out. Other times he needs to just kind of clean on the surface um, of my life, maybe the way I say things or the way I do things. But the goal is holiness and purity of the church. And this is what Christ desires for us, brothers and sisters. And how can we do that without being guilty of judgment and criticism towards the church? It's kind of a difficult balance, isn't it? Because if we see a problem and we want to see it change, we can easily become critical. And God has called us to not be people that are full of of complaining and grumbling. So how do I do this, Lord? It's a difficult problem. This is, there's this invaluable thing here that we see is the power of the tool of God's word. It says here that we do it with the washing of the word of God. For the pastors and teachers in the church, they have this role of teaching the word of God. And this is fundamental. We must be sitting under the teaching of God's word. We can do that every morning as we read the word of God and the Holy Spirit is our teacher. We can also do this as we gather together and we study corporately the word of God together to be on the same page and affront the word of God and be cleansed by the word of God. We need the word of God. So many times in scripture, it says, I write this as a reminder to you. We need to be reminded constantly of the truths of God's word so that whenever maybe that filth has uh, re-dirtied, sporcato is the word in Italian, our, our hearts or our minds that he can wash it out again. And this is a beautiful process he does through the word of God. And with that, the teaching role within the church is one thing. But if you're not a pastor or teacher in this room, you still have part in this. Just because you don't stand up and teach from the word of God doesn't mean that, we, that you don't have a role in doing that. Preaching, we need to be part of, of investing in the word of God and, and washing the church with the word of God. We can teach the word, but we need to also wash with the word. Now, this word to wash, it's not speaking of the, a power washer, um, I bought my mom a power washer for her house. I think she's used it all of two times. I'm not bitter. But when we actually, she actually did use it, um, it, it, got, it did a really good job of getting all the mold and all of the, like, the growth of, uh, of, I don't even know what it was. I don't have a backyard, the power wash, really. Um, all the stuff in the gunk off of her house. And what once was like a dirty brown became like the beautiful red brick that it was supposed to be. 
It was a really cool process to watch, but, uh, you know, for our sake, power washers weren't invented in scripture days. So God isn't calling us to be this really abrasive, affrontive, you know, power washing people with the word of God. You know, hey, these are your issues. This is what you need to do to change. We see in scripture that this word here is actually speaks of a bath. And in those days, a bath is a, very, is a much more gentle process, isn't it, than a power washing. If I give my children a bath, they love it. If I power wash my children, they'll call the Child Protective Services. It's a very different process. In Titus 3.5, it, it says that we're, we're, we're called to, through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit of the Word, to bring change in, in our own hearts. And that's how the Holy Spirit does it. And I know that's how he'd want us to act as well through the washing and the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. We can't power wash each other with the word of God. But there are a few ways that we can wash and bathe her. Rebuking and exhorting is one of them. Those are strong words. We don't like to be rebuked or exhorted. But it is biblical. And it happens all the time in scripture. And it should happen all the time within the church. In Matthew 18 and 5, it speaks about if someone has, uh, 18, it speaks about if someone has sinned against you, and it says to go to them by yourself and talk to them about that. The whole goal is to restore that relationship. It's not just to get it off your chest that they hurt you. The goal is to restore the relationship. So if you're not ready to restore the relationship, then don't go yet. Pray, ask God to change your heart, and then go talk to that person and say, when you did this, it really hurt me. And hopefully they will have the humility to apologize. But even if they don't, you did the right thing. And, it's, and when you follow the word of God, God will bring fruit. When you do the right thing in the right way, God will bring fruit in that person's life. And he'll bring fruit in your life as you walk in obedience. Matthew 18 speaks about that, that, that instance in which you're the one offended. In Matthew 5, it talks about uh, if you, before you go to the altar... If you know that someone has something against you, you need to leave your gift at the altar and go make it right and then come back and offer your, your gifts. Well, we come to the altar every Sunday morning uh, as we worship the Lord with the, the sacrifice of praise. Well, does someone have something against you? Do you know that there is a person who's been offended by you or there, there's something's not right in that relationship? I do believe that we should probably be making a lot more phone calls on Saturday evening than we probably do making sure that our relationship with each other is right. In small churches, this is even more important, that we need to make sure that we are being the body of Christ united in love and communion of the Holy Spirit and how important it is for us. And it says, leave your gift at the altar, go and make it right, and then come back and make that sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, how many issues would be removed? How many obstacles that, this, that, the, that Satan is using to stop the work of the gospel would be removed and wiped away if we put just these two things into practice? The Lord is glorified when we rebuke and exhort in a biblical way with the heart of restoration, with a gentle and humble spirit. Let me give you your testimony what happened we have a grupo administrativo. It's kind of like a board, a church. Uh, I don't exactly know, uh, elders board or I'm trying to use the word, the right word. I don't have it anymore. Um, what happens when you learn a new language is your brain divides uh, the boxes in your brain that used to be for English and it divides it in half and it puts, it moves, it literally like physically does this and it moves all of your language, uh, English into one side and then it creates new boxes in the other side for your new language. And so I, I can't speak English or Italian at this point. So pray for me, please. The Grupo Administrativo is uh, pretty much like an administrative uh, group that helps me with the practical sides of the church, and they're so important to me, and, and it was important for me to have this help from a, uh, like a foreigner's perspective as well, because there's a lot of papers and documents and things that I just can't, I literally cannot do. Um, I can't speak the language well enough or formal enough to, to make these, uh, these demands and these applications. So they do that for me. Praise God for them. Our first meeting was a total disaster. All of the stereotypes 
stereotypes of Italians um, uh, are very are usually very true. Uh, they're passionate people, and when they disagree with you, they will let you know in a very passionate way. So our first meeting was a disaster, and uh, and then as they continued to be a disaster, I was starting to think, oh well, maybe this is a trend. And um, I'm very fairly low confrontational uh, leadership style, but. Uh, because of that, I think when I go confrontational or when I feel like I need to, it's listened to. And that's a huge blessing. So I appreciate their di- diversity in thought and their diversity in, in counsel. But what I didn't appreciate was the anger or the, the extreme reactions to, uh, to certain things. And so there was, it was hard for me to figure out what is, as I prayed through it, Lord, what can I do to change this? And... When, when you don't have a language, um, it's, it's, it's so important to bring the word of God. And so in James 1, 19 through 20, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so I came to the Grupo Administrativo, and I said to them, You guys, our cultures are all different. I'm American, you're Italian. But when my culture doesn't line up with the word of God, I have to adapt to the word of God. I can't adapt the word of God to my culture. If your culture says it's okay to yell and be angry, (laughs) that doesn't line up with the word of God. And I read them this verse. And I said, this is my standard for you. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It is a requirement for you to sit part of this group. And if you can't do that, then you can't be part of this group. And I'm, I hate to say it, but I challenge you to be more Christian than you are Italian in this area. And they received it. There was two guys on the group that after that um, really began to listen. One of the guys from the board, um, he's a good friend of mine. And he said, you know, the Lord's been speaking to me this phrase like starezito, which means to shut up in, a, <laughs> in English. He said, every time I want to open my mouth, the Lord just kind of whispers this phrase into my ear. <laughs> I said, that's wonderful. The Holy Spirit is speaking something very true. <laughs> Sometimes we do just need to close our mouths and listen. And that's the first part to being quick to listen is being quick to shut our mouths first. Slow to speak and slow to become, become angry. And it came to the point where I would, I would have to ask his opinion when we were talking about certain things in our meeting. I actually had to ask. I had to, like, pull it out of him. What do you think about this? And then he would share his thoughts in a much more level-headed way that people could receive. And I think he began to see that people would listen to him rather than just argue back. It was a blessing. And how powerful is God's word when we go into it? in a biblical way of rebuking and exhorting with the word of God. It's a practical example of how God did that in our church. And I'm so grateful because God gets the glory for it. One powerful way to encourage the body as well is not just through rebuke and exhortation, but it's also through the way that we live out the word of God. In 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 3, it speaks about how every single one of our lives are being used, um, and the Lord is writing through the Holy Spirit on our hearts. It says that it, our lives are, and our hearts are read by all men. Like, in other words, the way that we live becomes obvious to the people around us of, the God's, of God's work in our hearts. And um, my dad asked me to share this story. Um, there's a girl at our church. Her name is Yodit. She's from Ethiopia. I promise there are Italians at our church. One was Albanian, this one's Ethiopian. We, it's majority Italian, and we have some of us foreigners as well. She lost um, her, her, she was part of the foster care system from about, I think, in her teens, so maybe 14, 15. And she went to live in a community that's very close to where our church is. Um, the only person in her life that was a mother figure for her was her grandma. And so I think she was planning a trip to Ethiopia to visit her grandma, and then COVID happened, and, and so things were delayed. And, and then when I mean, she was actually able to go, I think it was about two weeks before she was to go out there that her grandmother passed away. So it was tragic for her, and, and uh, she was mourning. Um, it, it was so sad. And I heard about it from somebody else that her grandmother had passed away and that she was really struggling. And so I called her, 
And she didn't really have a whole lot to say. She was just crying. She was mourning. She was wailing. It's the first time I've heard people wail um, when someone passes is in Italy. They're very, they're, they're passionate people, and I appreciate it. And so she, as she was crying, and uh, my words are failing, and you ever go into those situations and you don't have a clue what to do? <laughs> you, like, don't know what to say. And, like, the, the Christian temptation, or maybe the human temptation, is to just slap, like, a Bible verse Band-Aid on the, the gaping wound and be like, well, God uses everything for good, sister, you know, so don't worry. And we're guilty of that, aren't we? When people are in difficult situations and we don't know what to say, and sometimes we just open our mouths and, like, all this stuff comes out. And we just be quick to listen, <laughs> slow to speak. And um, as, we were, as we were talking, and I realized that the only thing that I could do is pray. And the Holy Spirit was just like, pray for her. So I said, let's pray. We we're on the phone. And I start to pray for her, and, uh, and she's just bawling still. And, and so I sit in silence a little bit, and then I, I sense the Holy Spirit begin to move. And I begin, I begin to pray. And, uh, and I actually end up beginning to, which I don't normally do in public ever, I begin to pray in tongues a little bit, and not loud into the phone. And then I just start begin to, beginning to bawl, like weep and bawl along with her. It was the strangest thing. I'm all nervous because my wife is, I'm, I'm working out of the house, and so my wife's there, and I just think she's going to hear this like bawling mess in the room and come in, are you okay? What is going on? You know? And, uh, and yet we know in Scripture when, when, when Jesus was with Mary and Martha, that with the one that was more rational, who responds, um, Martha, she's like, if you would have been here, my, my brother wouldn't have died. And then, and then she asked, they begin to have these really like theological discussion. And then with Mary, he says, she's weeping and he just begins to weep. And, and then afterwards, I thought of that verse when it says, you know, weep with those, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I didn't even know at the moment that what the Holy Spirit was leading me to do was actually a, a biblical thing. Um, and I don't say this for my glory. It was actually one of the more humiliating moments in my in ministry, getting on the phone to be the pastor and give some word of encouragement. And here I am, like, crying like a baby on the floor. And I didn't really know any, anything that had happened after that. Anyways, my, my mother and father, they came to visit, and we were at this conference together, and Yodit was there and was talking to my dad. And she said, um, she said to my dad, she said, your son changed my life. And, uh, and she began to share this encounter that we had. And she said, something changed in my, in my heart. And the Lord spoke to me as he was weeping on the phone with me. Um, the Lord spoke to my heart and comforted me where I needed to be comforted. And how powerful it is to know that in our weakness, the Lord is, can still do work. If you don't know what to say, ask for the Holy Spirit to lead you. And I know he will lead you. It was a humiliating moment for me, for my flesh. You know, American masculinity, you can't cry in front of anyone, right? But that's not biblical either. <laughs> and when we're, when we're led by the Lord, he does things that are more profound than we could ever do on our own. Praise God for that. We see in verse 28, let's read that together. Verse 28 says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Who he loves, uh, for he who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. You see this over and over again, this reminder of Christ in the church and our role and how we should also invest in the church in a similar way. Sanctify, to cleanse, but also to nourish and cherish. These two words are powerful. To nourish means to build something up. It's almost like after, you know, you work out at the gym and they say you should drink some sort of protein shake to kind of feed the muscles after the workout. To nourish the body uh, when it is needy. And that's what we're called to do. That Christ nourishes us, but he will use us to nourish the body around us, to cherish. This word means to like tuck something near, to keep it close, to protect it. That, that, that's what we're called to do with the church. As he does for us, we do for each other as part of it. But man, there are so many of us Christians sometimes, we, they, they can almost become part of this like, hate the church movement, like they see the problems, and so they're like, well, I hate these things about the church, and they begin to criticize the church, and we can't edify the church by criticizing it to death. That's not going to do anything that will end up damaging it. Isaiah 62 shows the heart of God. How does God view his church? 
We look in Isaiah and he's speaking about his people of Israel and they were just as messed up as we are, (laughs) right? Have you guys read the Old Testament? You're at Calvary Chapel. I know that you've read the Old Testament. Isaiah 62, the Lord says, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Oh, he rejoices over you. He doesn't just criticize you all the time. He rejoices over you. In Zephaniah 3.17, Another scripture about the Lord's heart for us. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. These are beautiful, intimate words. This is the heart of God for his church, for his people. And how many times we fall short to share in that same heart for his church. We're called not to just criticize, but to engage and meet the needs, to exhort, to rebuke, to wash, and to restore, to nourish, and to cherish the church. Stay close. Build up the church. Feed the church. Just like Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? What does he say after that? And you feed my sheep. Feed them. Nourish them. Love them. I just have to say And for those of you, for medical reasons that have to be, you know, uh, on your computers, or for those of you that don't live close and and you're here to listen to the Word of God, I'm so grateful for technology for that. It's been a huge blessing. But for those of you that are able-bodied, you can't nourish the church if you're not with them. Come and be part of the church. Because when in Scripture, it's when Jesus says, those of you that are sick, the elders will lay hands on you and pray for you, and the the, the prayer of a righteous man will availeth much. That can't happen if we're not together. It's literally what God made the church to do is to be together. And this is, I believe, something that God is going to restore with purpose for the church. Many of us have diminished the church or a church service down to something we can stream, you know, music and a teaching on Sunday morning. But the most, one of the most powerful things that happen is before and after or during when you guys greet each other and you pray for each other. You fellowship with each other. You meet each other's needs. This is the church. The church is not a building. The church is the people. And in Italy, we see lots of beautiful church buildings. But like a fellowshipping body of Christ, that, have we lost that? Have we forgotten how important that is? Because I look around at the world and I think it has. Brothers and sisters, you're here this morning, so I'm probably preaching to the choir. But how beautiful it is to be together. How wonderful it is to be part of the body of Christ, to cherish the body of Christ, and to be part of something that the Lord loves this much, that he writes songs, love songs about. Oh, that's amazing. Let me just say, in Scripture it says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and my wife is just the, the best. It's not every woman who would follow her husband all over the world um, and there's a huge difference between like influencer Instagram Italy and like actually living in Italy. <laughs> That's not our life, is not vacation. We live in the place where that doesn't have, you know, most people, 95% don't have dryers for their clothing. And almost everybody doesn't have air conditioners in their house, one car. You know, it's a very different lifestyle. It's very simple in a good way, um, but it comes with a lot of frustrations and a lot of difficulties and a lot of different things. And my wife, who stays close, you know, to our house with our children, she has to deal with a lot of these things a lot more. And so I'm just so grateful for this wife the Lord has put alongside of me. And the ministry that she has is is so important and so special. Um, And, you know, she's got the gift of um, exhortation. Uh, Not necessarily of encouragement, of exhortation. And I love it and I hate it sometimes, but I love it more than I hate it. Because it's one of the first things I heard uh, come out of her mouth uh, when I was kind of eavesdropping in a conversation of her with her buddies as she was like exhorting them to follow the Lord. And I looked at that and I said, what passion. That is so, so amazing. And so this exhortation is, uh, is, is intense sometimes. And, but how sweet it was one day as we were looking at this problem with the criticism within our church, she was uh, teaching our children, going over a Bible verse that we, we memorized a few Bible verses with them. And it was uh, encourage one another. 
and build each other up. So my kids will, you know, say it together with us, and, and they're so cute. And they can't, my, whole, my son Holden can't pronounce the words very well, and um, he has a couple of different, like, speech impediments that he'll get over, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, encourage one another and build each other up. And, and, and as she was speaking this to, my, to our children, um, the Lord spoke to her heart and said, this is what, your church, this is what the church needs. I don't know if he had specific words that he told her, but it was just this impression and prompting from the Holy Spirit. And so she began to uh, kind of look for opportunities to encourage, and the Holy Spirit put it on her heart to encourage people. Not just exhortation, but encouragement, which is a bit out of her gifting wheelhouse, but the Holy Spirit began to do that naturally. And there was one specific example where there was a a person at, at our church that just had a bunch of complaints about somebody else, and and then Rachel, uh, during the church service, she was in children's ministry, and as, as usual, you know, someone wasn't there, and they missed their turn, uh, their, their turn to teach the children's ministry. And someone else jumped in to teach children's ministry for the first time, kind of last minute. And, uh, and afterwards, Rachel said, I just wanted to say thank you for serving Jesus. I really liked how you taught. You did this well, and she gave a couple specifics, I think. I might not be recounting this story perfectly, but she sought to encourage this person in their step of faith to teach the children. It can be an overwhelming thing, can't it? And, uh, and it's, so, it's so sweet to see how God is putting this encouragement in her heart the, the cherishing of the church, not just seeing the flaws, but encouraging the good, encouraging the beautiful. How destroyed would our children be? These cute little children. If every single time they did something wrong, we just like criticize them for it instead of encouraging them when they do something right. Wow, look how you're making your first step. You know, my daughter Lucy, she's walking around, she's running around. If every time I said, that step wasn't done correctly, you need to walk from your heel to your toe, Lucy. What are you thinking? She walks around on her little tippy toes sometimes. If I criticize her, I will destroy that child. And yet we do that sometimes with the church. How sweet to build, encourage one another and build each other up. And I see this fruit, and I see as other people um, in our church begin to catch this new, this vision, this, uh, not vision, this (laughs) obedience to scripture of encouraging one another. There was a lady at our church who we had actually shared this with, and uh, and I was gone one Sunday, and she said, oh, you know, Marco taught, it was wonderful, and I always asked him, did you tell them? Uh, Because I just want to see if they're doing it. And she said, I did. I went up to him after the service and I gave him a big old hug. And I said, you have, you're just getting so good with Bible teaching. Thank you for sharing the word of God. And we're starting to see the Lord begin this new culture, I believe, of, of encouragement. I want him to remove the culture of criticism. In Italy, they call it lamentelli, little complaints. And they would be the first to tell you they are a culture of little complaints, of lamentelli. To the point, this is how extreme it goes. If you're at someone's house and you compliment the food more than like once, they will think you're not being genuine. Because more, too many compliments is almost syrupy, sweet. You know, they're like, oh, that's not genuine at all. They're just being fake. Real friends will, will tell you when you ask, how was the food? They'll say, ah, it's a bit too salty. They'll give you the one complaint they had about it. That's what they do. That's what their culture does. Lamentelli, a culture of little complaints. And we want to see the Lord bring it into a culture of encouraging one another and building each other up. In verse 30, we say, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We are members of one body. This is speaking of almost like the different body parts in the human body. Just as our bodies function, when every part functions, so does the church. Brothers and sisters, we are connected together. If you love Jesus, if you've been born again by by the gospel, we are part of one body. That is our identity. And and it's it's an incredible thing. I just have to say, since COVID has started, the whole COVID period was psychotic. But man, I saw something new. I saw something beautiful. Um, you know how hard it is to get, like, sometimes pastors to, to change, like, their way of doing things? And how fast did churches adapt and get teaching the Word of God on the Internet after COVID hit? I mean, for some people, they didn't even miss a Sunday. That is impossible to do with anything else <laughs> in certain churches, and yet they were online, like, right away. And I saw that when Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, I saw a little bit in that. 
I saw how quick people were to say, you know what? The word of God needs to be taught, and we need to get that out to our people. And they made those steps. I've never seen something so beautiful as, as when those doors closed and everything went online. And people in Italy who don't have hardly anything um, re- recorded or put online in, in, that's Christian, they were so excited. They're like listening to every single sermon from all the other churches uh, the, the, around. And it was such just a beautiful thing. When the war broke out in Ukraine... Regardless of the politics of all of that, I don't think anyone really knows what's going on over there. But we see that there are souls suffering, people that are dying and souls that are suffering. And our church in Italy rose up to donate food. We drove uh, three vans between the three or four churches, uh, Calvary chapels there in Italy. We drove uh, three vans full of food over to a center, a, uh, a conference center that was being used kind of as a, as a landing place for a lot of refugees. And left the food there. You know Italians and food. That's the first need. What are they going to eat? It was like their first thought. So we bring food over and and uh, and then we went to the border at another church that was there and they that this uh this one small church they're sending in vans into ukraine to bring people out they're bring filling the, the vans up with food and with medical supplies and they're dropping it off in in the country and then coming out with people and to see how fast the church was to respond, it put like the NGOs uh, to, to shame. Like the government response was not nearly as fast as what I, we were seeing on the ground there with the church. It was incredible. And then all of our American brothers and sisters were like, how can we help? What can we do? You know, people sending us money to send to these, these churches there. I can't tell you how incredible it was. We've had two, four, four uh, women with their children, uh, Ukrainian women with their children that have come to our church since this whole process has started. And one of the guys at our church <laughs> is Ukrainian, and he's married to an Italian, and so he speaks the language perfectly, uh, Italian and also Ukrainian. And, uh, and so he's been, he translates for, for these ladies. And, when, and there was one Sunday when these two new mothers came with their four kids, um, and, and we, we brought them over to Igor, and I just saw the faces of the Italians beaming, like, we have someone who speaks Ukrainian for you, and, uh, and, and now he sits with them every Sunday, and he translates for, for them right next to them, and they can listen and be welcomed and see the love of Christ. It is so, so beautiful. One of those ladies is about to have um, her third child uh, in, in September, and so I don't know the exact date, the exact due date, but her husband, and the the men aren't allowed to leave the Ukraine. Only the women and their children can, um, unless they have three children. So once she has her third child, he will be able to do the paperwork to be able to come and be reunited with his family in Feltre as well. And, uh, and so pray for, for them. Um, she has to have a child in a country whose language she does not know, with no family near at all, and then has to wait for her husband to come to be with her. So pray for her. Um, and if there's any needs that, that we find out when we're back there, because we'll try to get in contact with her, we'll maybe let you guys know and see if we can help provide clothes. I don't know what she will need for this baby, but how beautiful it is to see the church adapt and move. There's nothing more beautiful than, than the bride of Christ, you guys. It is amazing um, and to, to see how the Lord is moving through his church in these last days. And it is in those moments, I think, where we see kind of what the church is made of. Brothers and sisters, in the book of Revelation, there's three times when um, John is told by an angel, like, come up here, or by the Lord, and say, come up here, and I will show you. Come up here, and I will show you. Come up here, and I will show you. The first time in chapter 4 is, when, he's, is when, uh, when the Lord says, come up here, and I will show you the things that will take place. It's talking, speaking of all the judgment and the destruction. Verse 17, it says, Come up here and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, which speaks of the destruction of the enemy and all of his work in the world. And then the last time this phrase is, is said <laughs> is in Revelation 21.9. It, it says this, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. He spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. The last come and I will show you was speaking about the church. And it was the most awesome and glorious of the things that they wanted to show John. Throughout all of the destruction and all of the judgment of evil. I mean, and how we we long for that day when all evil is destroyed. Whew, and that's going to come one day. But the most glorious of those, those events that transpire is when the creator of the universe is joined with his bride. And he's like, hey. Come have a look at my bride. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. When my wife walked down the aisle, she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And every day after, 
But that's how Jesus feels about his church. Brothers and sisters, how do we treat the, 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 the bride of Christ? Jesus has a bride. And how are we going to treat her? The word of God calls us to not just criticize and critique, but to sanctify and to cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, to nourish, to cherish his bride, and to be one just like he is. As we we finish this off, you guys, maybe this morning you need to repent of your criticism of the bride of Christ. If, If you need to repent and maybe a judgmental heart towards her, if this is where you're at, Make that right with the Lord this morning. Man, he is patient and forgiving. But repent and move on from that today. Do you need to respond maybe to the call to come and and to not just come and receive from the church, but to nourish and cherish the church yourself? To be part of investing in the body of Christ? Washing her with the water of the word? Time is too short for us to just stand still. Jesus could come back any day now. We moved to Italy so that we'd be part of investing in the church. Um, and that's what God's calling on our lives. I'm not saying all of you need to move to Italy. I don't want to teach all of you Italian. It was too hard for me to do it myself. But God has a calling on your lives, and you're here right now. So what is God calling you to do to be part of this nourishing, this cherishing, this sanctifying and cleansing of the church? I know that he has a role for you. Because if he calls you, That means he has a plan for you. It says that we are called for the good works that he has prepared before us. And so what is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to be as his child amongst the body of Christ? And I think the Holy Spirit wants to speak to some of us this morning. Maybe all of us. Probably all of us. To encourage us in living this out. So let's let's stand and pray. And then we're going to go into, we're going to have communion, and we're going to take communion today. Pastor Dean will lead us in communion. This communion, uh, you, you know what it means, what it stands for, and he'll explain it. But man, it speaks of our union with Christ because of his body that was broken for us. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are going to move in your church. And if there's anybody in this place that needs to repent of criticism or needs to repent of their, their, their apathy towards your church, God, give us the spiritual gift of humility in this moment to see our own failures and to confess our need for you. Give us wisdom, Lord, how to handle Maybe the things we see that could change and help us to nourish and to cherish your bride like you do. We can't do it on our own, but we know that you can. So lead us, Holy Spirit, and help us to be your hands and your feet in this world. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your your work this morning. Speak to our hearts as we worship you, as we praise your name, and lead us, Jesus in this, the rest of this time together. In your name we pray, amen.